Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, September 10th, 2023, from the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, I want to start with a question this morning, and this is a crowd participation question, so feel free to answer out loud. Um, Have any of you guys ever gotten to the point in your life where you just feel like, I'm in a rut, things are never going to get better, I don't know if things are ever going to change? Anybody ever getting in that? Okay. Okay, I saw some hands, heard some yeses, all of that is great. Here's another one real quick. Does anybody ever feel like, even though you, even if you know the gospel and you know the truth of the forgiveness of Jesus, do you ever still feel like, and yet I have this undercurrent of, I'm sure I'm in trouble with God? You don't feel that as well? Okay, good. I was hoping I'm not alone on that because otherwise I could just let you go. I would have nothing to say to anybody. But okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish talking about the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes today. I want to thank you for going on this journey with me. It's been a whole lot of fun. I hope that I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I know for some folks, they're like, man, I never really read Ecclesiastes that much and I've been reading it here at the end of the summer with you and I'm really, really liking it and understanding it and getting it and that is really, really cool. So we're going to finish it today. Now, um, the cool thing about this book, first of all, for anybody that's new, Ecclesiastes is just a big old word that means assembly or gathering. It's this, it's old man Solomon at the end of his life saying, I lived it all, I, I, I tried everything, I, I learned the hard way, and I want to help you learn how to have a skillful life. Kind of skip to the end, find the answers at the end of the book. And, and uh, you know, he's taught us a lot of things. I feel like I've learned a lot of really great stuff from Old Man Solomon or, you know, whoever was kind of writing using Solomon's notes or whatever. But Old Man Solomon, he's taught us some cool things. Like, uh, he, he's taught us that we are completely and totally not in control of our life at all. And anybody that thinks they're in control of it is completely and totally fooling themselves. That was a good one. Um, he's taught us that not everything matters that people think matters. Some things absolutely are just going away. They're transient. They're smoke. And people are trying to hold on to them. And it's just vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, the teacher says. We've, we've learned that um, a lot of accomplishment that happens in the world is just because people are jealous of each other, just straight up envy. And it leads to a lot of oppression and injustice. We've learned that there is an art to figuring out how to enjoy your life that it's a skill that you can grow in, that you can change, and you can actually learn how to become a person who enjoys your life. And then we learned that there is a secret power in facing the knowledge of your own certain death. We've learned a lot of stuff from the teacher. Today we're going to do something a little different, a little weird, and I want to ask you to hang on tight with me as we try this, okay? And theologians, I need you to trust me, okay? Today we're going to talk about all the things the teacher in Ecclesiastes got wrong. And I know that feels a little weird, right? I mean, I don't even know if y'all heard me. We're going to talk about all the things the teacher got wrong. And you're like, wait a minute. This is the Bible. How are you going to talk about the things the teacher got wrong? Okay, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to explain some of that, so hold on tight and go with me. Let's talk about the Bible for a second, okay? We believe that this is not an ordinary book. 
This is, and feel free to say amen if you're on the train with me on this, okay? I'm feeling very alone right now, so I just want y'all to come with me. We believe that this is not an ordinary book. That this book is a miraculous book because God got involved in, in ordering human authors to write things down for us. He was involved with them. The Holy Spirit directed human authors to write, and this is miraculous, through their own personalities, through their own styles, through their own experiences, all the things that he wanted them to write down. Now that is miraculous. That is an amazing thing. When an author writes a book, they write it in their style, whether it's a biography or whether it's a, it's a comedy or a novel or whatever. And what's amazing is that the Holy Spirit directed human authors to write all of the prophecies, all the histories, all of the poetry, all of the letters that are in the scriptures. It was directed, inspired by the Spirit of God, but it was through their, all, all their personalities, experiences, and, and own personal histories. Now that is amazing. Amazing. That's an incredible thing. And we believe every single word of this is true. And what we mean by that is, I believe that every word is in here because God wanted us to read it, okay? The problem is, is that every now and then, somebody can just, you know, cherry pick a verse out of somewhere and you were like, wait a minute, is that true though? Well, we believe that the Bible is what God wanted us to read. So, Every now and then you could pick out a verse, like uh, in John chapter 7, somebody says of Jesus, he's possessed by a demon. Here's what we don't mean when we say we believe every, every word of the Bible is true. We don't believe Jesus was possessed by a demon. The Bible definitely says that. But what happens is, is John has written through the help and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has accurately reported that someone said that about Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Is this making sense? Later in that same chapter, someone said about Jesus, he deceives the people. Well, that's not something that we believe about Jesus. We do not believe that he deceives the people. Somebody definitely said that about Jesus. But in this miraculous book, we believe that it was accurately reported to us that somebody said about Jesus, he deceives the people, even though he totally does not deceive the people. So how could I say that the teacher got some stuff wrong? Well, you know, sometimes in the Bible there are things that, like I said, it comes through people's personalities, it comes through their culture and their experiences. Like when Paul tells certain churches, like, look, when y'all meet together to go to church, make sure you greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, we don't do that. Um, now, if you go to Spain, they will greet you everywhere with a holy kiss, even if you're not in church. They just do that. They just do that over there. And there's a bunch of countries like that. And that's a cultural thing where, you know, like people wearing head coverings and I don't see one, like in the whole room. But that's definitely in there. There's some things that are cultural that come from people's experiences and stuff like that. And I don't know, I mean, I'm guessing that, you know, doctors in, in the room definitely don't want us greeting each other with a holy kiss. But I'm telling you, it's a really, it's a really warm and sweet thing. And Spain. So we'll just let them have that and we'll do our thing, you know, high fives or Y fives if everybody's, you know, sick or something like that. But there's some things that we don't do that are definitely in here, okay? Now, when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, you look at it and see this was either written by Solomon or it was written by somebody collecting Solomon's notes and stuff like that. So there's some pretty Solomon y things in there, like. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, money is the answer for everything. And you're like, yeah, a super rich dude would say that. <laughs> like, 
Like the richest guy ever would just haul off and say that. And you're like, well, no, I mean, it's not the answer for everything. I mean, in my work over the past 20 years with a lot of young people, I can tell you that the people who didn't have a dad at home, they don't want money from him. They wanted their dad to love them and tell them that he's proud of them and to be around. Amen? It's not the answer for everything. But yeah, a super rich dude would say that. There's a place in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, and y'all, I have tried to avoid this verse since I started this book. And, but, I, but the very first week that I uh, started this, I encouraged you all to go home and read it. And then I thought, somebody's going to read this verse, and I need to talk about it because somebody's going to read it. There's a place in chapter 7 in Ecclesiastes where he says, the teacher says, out of a thousand people, I met one good man. And you're like, dang, one. And he says, and not one good woman. And you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and look, and here's my thing about, I'd be like, listen, listen, Solomon, I've read about your life. And maybe if you treated women with a modicum of the respect and love and dignity that they deserved, you might have more friends. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's a good amen. Yeah, so let's treat women with respect and dignity and, and, and love. And, you know, then maybe you wouldn't have written that down. But there's some things... There are a couple of threads that run through the book of Ecclesiastes that I want to show you that I think the teacher got wrong. And not because the Bible is not true, not because the Bible can't be trusted. It absolutely can. But because Ecclesiastes is just one part of this book. It's like Ecclesiastes is a cliffhanger. And the teacher is accurately reporting to us something that feels really, really true in life. Something that is hard to walk through, something that is hard to face, and it feels really, really true. But it's a cliffhanger. It's like setting us up for the season finale of the show. And I'm going to show you what it is, okay? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 16. Sorry, verse 17. I said to myself... God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And then over in chapter 9, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have any part in anything that happens under the sun. These two threads flow throughout this entire book. The teacher says, you die? And no one remembers you. And you never have a part of anything ever again. In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, The former generations, nobody remembers them. In chapter 2, verse 16, he says, The wise and the fool alike are not remembered. In chapter 6, he says, Don't all go to the same place. In chapter 9, he says, 
In the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. This is a thread that runs through the whole book. You live this life, you die, and you're gone, and that's it, and nothing will ever change, and nothing will ever get better. It's been this way the whole time. There's no reward. There's nothing to look forward to. You're just gone. And then he has this other thread going that we read in chapter 3 as well, which is there's a time for God to judge every deed. There's a place in chapter 3 earlier where he says, and I saw that God will call the past into account. There's a place in chapter 11 where he says, follow your heart and whatever your eyes sees, but know this, God will bring all of this into judgment. There's a place in, verse, in chapter 12 where he says, God is going to bring every deed into judgment, including all of the hidden stuff, whether good or bad. And I'm like, okay, this is a part of something that God, by his Holy Spirit, has miraculously made sure that this human author wrote and that we got it. You are going to be judged for everything, and when you die, you're just gone, and that's it, and nothing will ever change. And I'm like, why is this in there? And it's in there because this is not the end of the Bible. Amen? Amen. This is not the end. The idea is you're supposed to keep reading. Well, why did he put it in there? Because, y'all, and, and you can amen me if you want to on this, sometimes this is the way it feels. Sometimes it feels like I don't have any hope that my life or my story or my situation is ever going to get any better. It just feels like I got, I've got it just as good as some animal that dies. And it's just, and we're the same. We just lived our meaningless life and we're just, and then, and then you're gone. And I don't know if it's ever going to get better. And no matter what I know about God or his heart, sometimes I just feel like I just know he's coming to get me and I know I'm in trouble. And y'all, I don't know if you're with me on this, but the feeling that I am in trouble is the worst feeling on the planet Earth. The feeling that you're going to get called into the principal's office. That is the worst. When they, when they come over that intercom, and it was, again, when I was in Ms. Tyndall's class at Robertsville, and they said, Ms. Tyndall, we need to see Lee Younger in the principal's office. And all my friends were like, ooh. And I'm like, y'all are the worst, man. Y'all are the worst friends. And then you go into that principal's office, and you're just like, I just want to know what this is. I want to know what this is about. Is my mom here to get me, or am I about to get in trouble? And that feeling, I think the book of Ecclesiastes lays that out as these, as these two threads through the book, because this is the way our hearts feel sometimes. Nothing's ever going to get better than this, and I just know, I just know I'm in trouble. And the thing is, is that you're supposed to keep reading, because Ecclesiastes is a cliffhanger. It's in there because it feels this way. But the way it feels is not always the way it is. Amen? You're supposed to keep reading through Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Daniel and Hosea and Obadiah and Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all the way through, all the way through to Malachi. You're supposed to read through the whole rest of the Old Testament. And then you're supposed to turn the page where you find a young teenage boy who is down in the dumps because his story has just completely fallen apart. And he's feeling hopeless. And he's feeling like the worst thing that he could imagine has just happened to him. His best girl has cheated on him with somebody else and now she's pregnant and maybe God's just getting me back for all the wrong stuff I've ever done. I just knew it. My story's never going to get better and I'm in a ton of trouble and maybe he cried himself to sleep one night and he had a dream 
And in that dream, an angel said, Joseph, she didn't cheat on you. You see, it's a cliffhanger because someone's coming. Something's going to happen. There's going to be news. I was thinking this week that if I were to write down for you a biography of my life, I could write to you everything that happened in the first 18 and a half years of my life, and I could accurately report it if I could remember what actually happened. I can't really remember very well. But even if I did, if I had all the facts, I could tell you everything about my life for the first 18 and a half years, and it would be my life. But you know what? The main character wouldn't be in it at all because she hadn't shown up yet. That's what's happening. So then you keep reading, and you go over and you find a group of shepherds sitting in the dark around a campfire, and they had lives that their their life was exactly the same as their dad's, which was exactly the same as their granddad's, and nothing's ever going to change, and nobody's ever going to care about us, and probably I'm stuck in this nowhere life because God's getting me back and judging me for all the stuff I've ever done, and then say it with me, amen if you've got it, but all of a sudden the night sky broke into an explosion of angels. And they said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Because today in the city of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. This book, Ecclesiastes, has so much to teach you. But on that one note, these two little threads that go through the book, it's never going to get any better. I'm totally hopeless. And I just know I'm in trouble with God. That's a, just you wait. Just hang tight. It's like a bump, set, spike. Bump, it's never going to get any better. Set, I know I'm in trouble with God. So that angels can spike the ball over the net as they say a Savior has been born. And then Jesus grew up and lived the most beautiful life. And he came here so he could lay that life down in your place and in my place. And he paid for all of your sin and all of the wrong. And every time that you, all the hidden stuff, all of the deeds, all of the words, all of the thoughts, and you can amen if you care about it, let's go, church. This is unbelievable. All of your sin has been paid for by Jesus. And so he said, and by the way, if you're not a person who memorizes verses, that's totally cool. But can I encourage you to to go ahead and memorize this one? Because you're going to need it sometimes. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but has already crossed over from death into life. Amen. You need that in your back pocket. And the reason you need it in your back pocket is because every now and then it just feels like, even though I know it, even though I believe in Jesus, I just know that this terrible thing happened to me because I'm being punished for my sins. You're not. You're not being punished for your sins. The blood of Jesus so thoroughly cleanses anyone who calls on his name from all of their sin that you, if you've called on the name of Jesus, you could stand in the courtroom of heaven with God with a judge's gavel in his hands and he would have no basis on which to accuse you of any wrong. Good night. That's good news. That's absolutely amazing news. And on the night before he laid that life down, he was sitting with his guys and he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house, 
there are many rooms. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If that weren't so, I would not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. And I'm going to bring you there with me so that you can always be where I am. Sometimes it feels like it's never going to get any better than this. There's no future. There's no reward. I just don't think anything's ever going to change. And Jesus, as <laughs> Jesus says to us, you have no idea how much better it's going to get than this. You have no idea how good the reward is. I know it's hard now. I know there's confusion and difficulty and pain and sorrow. But you are going home to a home you can't imagine. And if you walked into the kitchen of God's house, guess whose crayon artwork is hanging on the fridge with the magnets? Yours and mine. Your mom threw it away a long time ago. He didn't. He pulled it up out the trash and put it on the fridge. If you walk down the hallway in God's house, your picture is on the wall. If you go in the bedroom with your name on the top of it, the, the covers are already turned down. Your favorite toys are already in the room. You have a home in heaven. It feels like it's never going to get better. It feels sometimes like we're in trouble. And I, and I love, actually love that Solomon or whoever's writing in Solomon's name wrote this down for us because sometimes it feels that way. But Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, one greater than Solomon is here. And he's got good news. The main character has arrived. The story has changed. It's not that Ecclesiastes isn't true. It's not that it isn't real. It's not that you can't trust it. It's just that it feels that way sometimes until the main character arrives. Today we're going to take communion and we are going to remember that night, that morning, that day where Jesus laid down his life for us. And that night when he was with those guys and he promised that home in heaven, he broke bread and he took a cup and he said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you. Because sometimes it's going to feel hopeless. It's going to feel like your story can never get any better. Sometimes it's going to feel like you are just in trouble with God. And when that happens, he said, you need to remember this. I came for you. I died for you. I was risen from the dead for you. We invite you to come and take. And all we, all we ask is that you know that you've believed in Jesus. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord. You don't have to be a member of Christ's community or anything like that. If you're new here, we invite you to come if you've come to know Jesus. If you never have, if you're like, I, I, don't, I just don't know if I've ever really understood this message or taken it. It's just like this real quick. Jesus has died for you. If you call out on the name of Jesus, you can be completely forgiven for all of your wrong, even the secret stuff, immediately and forever. You get to start over in your life with a brand new heart, with God as your dad, and then you have a place in heaven forever and no one can ever take it away from you. And if you've never done it, you could say to Jesus in your heart right now, Lord, I need that and I want it. I want to be forgiven and I want you in my life and I want a home in heaven forever. And you can have it. We invite you to come. I'm going home. It won't be long. Coming back one day And every tear that I cry From the troubles of this life I know that He will wipe away I'm going home
Jesus will come